Hey everybody and welcome to Breaking Biotech. Thanks for being with me here today. My name is Matt and if you like the show you can click the like or subscribe button. You can also support the show by donating using the tip jar link in the description below. So I'm glad to be back and again thanks everybody for all the support, all the emails, I appreciate all the engagement I've been getting. The numbers are looking good so let's keep it up. Uh, you know we're getting really close to that 1000 mark on the YouTube subscribers so please continue to share the show and uh, we'll keep growing this thing. But I've got an exciting show for everybody today. We're going to be talking about Nash. And the reason for that is two interesting things came out in the last two weeks. One is that we heard that Intercept Pharma received a CRL from the FDA for the approval of Okaliva in Nash. And we also saw an update in a biotech company that I've yet to really look at seriously until now called Acaro. And they have an FGF21 type drug that they're looking to seek approval in NASH and we saw some updates in their phase 2A data so we're going to talk about that see how it fits within the NASH space and talk about whether or not there's another potential company we could invest in. So that's uh, gonna be the show for the most part today on a personal note yeah I was mentioning last time that things were kinda opening up I was getting my social life back but now that the numbers have kind of spiked in California. It's mostly been in Riverside and LA, so San Diego has been spared, but the government here has shut down a lot of bars that don't serve food. So that's been a bit of a change, and I think if the numbers continue to go up, we're gonna see a lot more closures. So that is an unfortunate thing going on, but you know, with closures, it means I might have more time for biotech analysis. So a little bit of a silver lining there. But with that, let's just get right to it. And the first thing I wanna talk about is Intercept Pharma. And what we heard in the last two weeks was that they received a complete response letter for the approval of abeticolic acid, also known as Okaliva, for the treatment of fibrosis due to NASH. And so for those who don't know, a complete response letter is sent from the FDA if they are not going to approve a drug for either a biologics license application or a new drug application. So those are the two ways at which a biotech or pharmaceutical company it's the last step before they can actually start marketing this drug to patients is they need to get an approval letter from the FDA and if they get a complete response letter it means that they were not approved and usually these letters will include some information that tells the company what they need to do to get approval or if there's any way forward for them to do so and the company does have recourse they can try and meet with the FDA to discuss that further and that's pretty much what every company does but Anyway, Intercept received this CRL, and in the letter, what Intercept has told us is the following, that the predicted benefit of OCA based on a surrogate histopathologic endpoint remains uncertain and does not sufficiently outweigh the potential risks to support accelerated approval for the treatment of patients with liver fibrosis due to NASH. The next thing that Intercept tells us is that the FDA recommends that Intercept submit additional post-interim analysis efficacy and safety data from the ongoing Regenerate study in support of potential accelerated approval and that the long-term outcomes phase of the study should continue. So the data that Intercept provided the FDA was only interim and it seems here that the FDA wants to see the final data and then they also allude to potentially submitting outcomes data. And what that means, I've listed it out here based off of the draft guidance that the FDA has given. And these outcomes endpoints are a little bit more, they're a higher bar than what they've required with the histopathologic endpoints before. So I've written down here, the ultimate goal, this is from the NASH guidance from the FDA, the ultimate goal of NASH treatment is to slow the progress or halt or reverse disease progression and improve clinical outcomes. 
that is prevent progression to cirrhosis complications reduce the need for liver transplant and improve survival so all of those things are actually kind of included in the endpoint that intercept has set out but they're secondary endpoints so they weren't able to provide that information in the interim analysis but they will be measuring it it just means that there's going to be quite a delay before we get the, that information all of this is all subject to change because Intercept does plan to meet with the FDA to discuss this stuff. And in that meeting, they're going to get, hopefully, clear guidance on a path to approval or not. But to give kind of a background on what the FDA wants, the FDA released draft NASH guidance for companies that were studying drugs. And I think there was some confusion years ago before this guidance because companies didn't really know what the FDA wanted in order to approve the drug. So the FDA came up with what they called draft guidance, and this was in late 2018 that they did this. And then companies could then integrate that into their trials moving forward. And so that's what a lot of the companies did. So for the endpoints, I'm just going to read out here. There's two endpoints that the FDA wants in phase three trials. One of them is resolution of steatohepatitis on overall histopathological reading and no worsening of liver fibrosis based off of the NASH Clinical Research Network fibrosis score, or improvement in liver fibrosis greater or equal to one stage, based off of that NASH CRN fibrosis score, and no worsening of steatohepatitis. So it's either or that the FDA wants, and you could also do both, and people will look at that and say, oh, so is both better, and the FDA hasn't really made it clear whether or not that's the case. But so just to give some clarity on what they mean here, Steatohepatitis is uh, evaluable on histological readings. So that means they have to do a biopsy of the liver, and then a pathologist will score the slide based off of an H and E stain, and that's just a general lab stain that allows you to contrast a lot of the different structures on the tissue section. And what the pathologist does is they score for each one of these things zero to three, saying how bad each of these categories are, and there's three of them. The first one is steatosis, which is literally just fat accumulation in the hepatocyte, the liver cell itself, or it could be between the cells or something like that, but the pathologist is able to evaluate that. The other one is inflammation, and this is literally infiltration of the liver of immune cells, and you can't really tell which immune cells they are uh, by H&E very well, some maybe by size, but in general they're a lot smaller cells, and you can evaluate how much innervation of immune cells there are in the liver. And then the last one is ballooning, and this is swelling of liver cells. And you can see this histologically on the slide. If you compare a NASH patient with a healthy patient, ballooning is just a big increase in space in the cells themselves, the liver cells. So that's specifically related to steatohepatitis evaluation. So either you can have resolution of those three factors, or you can have not worsening of those three factors. But what also accompanies that is fibrosis. And this is evaluation of extracellular matrix protein deposition in the liver. And now fibrosis on its own is more detrimental because it literally will lay down these ECM proteins, so collagen, fibronectin, all sorts of different proteins, and that will usually, eventually, replace hepatocytes. So the functional part of the liver will actually get replaced by these proteins that are deposited in the liver, and that leads to worsening function. And eventually, if this happens too much, you end up with cirrhosis. So what the FDA has done here is they've separated the fibrosis part with the steatohepatitis part, 
and the steatohepatitis part is easier to reverse than the fibrosis, I'd say. So for them, getting improvement in one without worsening of the other is a decent way to evaluate whether or not your molecule is having an effect in NASH. So all of that is to say that this is what the FDA has kind of outlaid for the primary endpoints for phase three studies. Now, I also have here that for accelerated approval, they also need kind of additional endpoints. And what they want to see here is a composite endpoint that includes progression of cirrhosis, reduction in hepatic decompensation events, change in MELD score, which is an evaluation of how bad the liver is, uh, liver transplant or all-cause mortality. So all of these kind of go into what they mentioned before in the outcomes of what they might want to see from Intercept. And they didn't really make that explicit, but to get accelerated approval, it looks like companies need to have a composite endpoint that includes these outcomes, which would be progression of cirrhosis, liver transplant, etc. So Intercept has done that, but it will take some time for them to accumulate that data from their giant patient population. Specifically with Okaliva, uh, they were able to show an improvement in fibrosis with no worsening of NASH, but not NASH resolution with no worsening of fibrosis. So of the two endpoints that the FDA wants to see, they were able to achieve one. So seemingly, that should be enough to get them to approve the drug if the reward from that outweighs the risks. And of course, they did have an advisory committee meeting scheduled, but that was pushed back a couple times now, and then they got the CRL. So it's not looking great for Intercept. Um, they might eventually get approval, but it seems like the FDA is gonna force them to go through a lot of hoops to show you know, additional data to show that there is a real clinical benefit here. I did not take a position in the company. I've always felt that their data was okay, uh, but the side effect profile was such that it's going to be difficult for them to, even if they were to get approval, it would still be difficult for doctors to justify prescribing this without you know, additional drugs like statins, and I know Intercept had done a trial on that, or some kind of drug that would help with type 2 diabetes, because I think it does exacerbate insulin resistance to a certain extent. Moving forward, I want to talk about fibroblast growth factor because the next companies I'm going to talk about specifically are commercializing fibroblast growth factor molecules in NASH. And this is going to be kind of the feature story of the video today because this is a space that I've ignored largely in the NASH space until now for the most part. Uh, I focused mostly on the thyroid receptor beta agonist companies only because I didn't really see another company or another mechanism come forward that would challenge that. But it's pretty clear now after the Acaro data that there is another class of molecules that are going to be, you know, potentially best in class or at least rival the thyroid receptor beta agonist drugs. So FGF, there are a group of signaling molecules that have a variety of different functions. And I know it seems like every time I talk about one of these families, they all have like broad functionality, but it is the case here as well. It's a large member family, 22 different FGFs that exist, and there's multiple different receptors that can bind to these ligands and have downstream effects. FGF R1 through R4 are the receptors to these different ligands, and then downstream on different cell types, they can have effects. Now the two that I'm gonna focus on for this talk are FGF21 and FGF19, and these are the furthest along clinically for NASH. FGF19 has an endocrine function through its binding of FGFR4, that's the receptor, and this molecule is produced by a number of different cell types. It's very important for bile acid synthesis and absorption of food, 
and it happens to be reduced in NASH or type 2 diabetes mellitus patients. So one company that's been commercializing this for NASH is called NGM Biotherapeutics, so we're going to talk about that in a second, but this is kind of a background on the preclinical side of FGF19. Now FGF21, on the other hand, has an endocrine function as well. It binds to the FGF receptor 1, along with this other molecule called beta-clotho. I'm not going to talk in detail about that. There's a lot of preclinical mechanistic data that shows how this beta-clotho molecule is important for FGF21's activity. But FGF21 seems to be released from liver cells, and then that molecule can then act locally in the liver or can go through the bloodstream and affect distant cells and organs. In its function distally, it can stimulate glucose uptake by fat cells. It can also promote gluconeogenesis, which is the creation of glucose molecules. And then another interesting thing is that it's significantly upregulated in type 2 diabetes mellitus. Given that, the first company I'm going to talk about is NGM Biotherapeutics, ticker symbol NGM. And they closed on Thursday, because we're a long weekend, at $19.20 a share, giving them a market cap of $1.3 billion. And they are commercializing an FGF19 analog called aldefermin, as well as a bunch of other molecules. And I've kind of listed them here, but I'm really just going to focus on the NASH-ish candidates. They also have a candidate that will stimulate the FGFR1C beta-clotho combination through an antibody. So this molecule I do think also has some potential in NASH, but they're very early in this. So with their FGF19 analog, aldefermin, they showed solid efficacy on important FDA endpoints in NASH, and I'll just pull this up so we can see that. So they showed here that one milligram aldefermin treatment uh, showed 38% improvement in fibrosis without worsening NASH compared to placebo, which only showed 18%. And then with NASH resolution without worsening fibrosis, 24% of patients saw an improvement as opposed to only 9% with placebo. So it looks like this molecule is pretty good at this stage. And when it comes to side effects, we saw that there was a lowering of LDLC after an initial spike, so that's good. And there was also a decrease in ALT. And ALT is a marker of overall kind of liver damage. So if this molecule was causing some damage in the liver, we would see a spike in ALT. And in general, in NASH patients, they probably have a slight increase in ALT since the liver is really burdened by the fibrosis and the steatohepatitis that's going on at the time. So given that, the side effect profile is pretty good. And really the only downside of the company is there's a bit of a delay in the next catalyst that we're going to see. So they have a phase 2B, what they call an Alpine 2-3 trial. And the top line results from that are going to come in the first half of 2021. And that's looking at aldefermin in a NASH study. So we're going to see results of that. And then really the next step, once those results are good, would be to start a phase 3 trial. Their other molecule, the NGM13, which is an antibody agonist for FGFR1C slash beta-clotho. And this one does seem pretty interesting to me because it's only a once-monthly injection. The preclinical data that they showed gave a really strong effect on hemoglobin A1C. This is only a once-monthly treatment, so that's pretty cool because these FGF treatments right now are unfortunately injectable. So the best thing that they can hope for is to minimize the number of injections that patients need. So I think that NGM313 has potential in both NASH as well as type 2 diabetes mellitus. 
and hemoglobin A1C is kind of a long-term look at glycemic control. So them seeing an improvement in only one treatment dose is pretty encouraging to me, at least at this early stage. And now they are initiating a phase 2B trial and that is starting in the second half of 2020. So it will be some time before we see any data on this, unfortunately. But I'm going to keep NGM on my watch list a little more. And uh, it might be an interesting play in the future. But the one thing that I did want to mention is that they have a treatment also for dry AMD. And they're initiating a phase 2 trial for that in the second half of this year. And they also have a molecule called NGM217 for diabetes treatment, and they have a phase one readout for the second half of this year. So if you did want to look at NGM as a play, you could anticipate those results coming out, this uh, NGM217, and that might be worth it. But I haven't looked in too much detail in those, but I do think that they, they hold some promise in the NASH space when it comes to their FGF19 analog aldeferment, as well as this NGM313 drug. So that's on the FGF19 side, and I guess also on the 21 side because the stimulation of FGFR1C is kind of related to FGF21, but the company I want to talk about next is called Acaro Therapeutics, ticker symbol AKRO. And the reason we're talking about them is because we saw an update in their phase 2A trial for their drug called Efruxafermin. And this is an FGF21 molecule fused to the FC portion of an antibody. And now this company closed on Thursday at $33.02 a share, giving them a market cap of $950 million. And now what they've done is because these molecules have a very short half-life in the blood, they fused FGF21 to an antibody FC portion. And what this does is it improves the pharmacokinetics such that they can reduce the number of injections they need to give in order to maintain a therapeutic level of the drug in the blood. So that's what that FC portion is doing uh, in this molecule. And so to give a bit of background, the company released this phase 2A week 12 liver fat reduction data. And they did this earlier in the year and they showed that there was a significant improvement in liver fat reduction based off of the MRI PFF technique to do this. And this was interim data and everybody was pretty excited about this. And the things that they looked at were a blood profile of lipoproteins, insulin sensitivity, etc. And all of that looked pretty good. But, of course, this is only an interim endpoint. And the exciting part is really to see whether or not there's an improvement in NASH, given those two endpoints that I talked about earlier in the show. June 30th is when this data was released. And based off of all the data that they saw, and we're going to look at it in a second, they're going to be starting a phase 2B slash 3 trial in early 2021. So... Based on how long that trial is going to take, we could expect some interim results probably in the middle, later half of 2021. Now, to touch on the data itself, there's a few caveats that I want to mention. And one is that COVID did have an effect on the company's ability to get patients to come back and get scans done. So the full data analysis set was 80 patients. Of those, 79 of them received at least one dose of the study drug. And then of those, only 68 patients had baseline and 12-week hepatic fraction assessed by the MRI technique. So only 68 patients had scans done that were evaluable further. And now of those, the company decided to only include patients that had seen a 30% or greater amount of liver fat reduction. 
So you can imagine that this would skew the patient population only to those who saw any kind of effect, whether it was placebo or treatment. Of those 68 patients, only 42 of them were responders, which means that they had that increase in liver fat reduction, and they had a baseline and end of treatment liver biopsy result. So the things that we don't know are whether or not there were more responders that weren't able to get an end of treatment liver biopsy result for one reason or another. Uh, they did kind of mention that you know some things may have come up where patients didn't feel comfortable getting that biopsy result. They were worried about coming to the doctor because of COVID or something like that. But of the original 80 patients, only 68 of them had the scans done for the liver fat. And then of those, only 42 of them had the responder level and had the evaluable metrics done. So I'm putting that caveat out there because the data does look a little bit strange when you see it on its face. So here's what the data looks like. And up front, they tell us that there was only two placebo patients that had seen a 30% or greater reduction in liver fat. Of those two patients, one of them significantly dropped a ton of body weight. I forget what the number is, it's written here in the fine print, but uh, of the two patients, one of them, and these patients are kind of coached that they should improve their lifestyle by improving their diet as well as exercising more, and then they'll also be taking either placebo or the drug treatment. But of course, these are double-blind trials, so nobody really knows what's going on. What we're kind of seeing here is that, right on its face, that weight loss itself has a significant impact in NASH. And we can see that in the placebo here, where one patient was able to reduce their NAS score by two or greater, and they had no worsening of fibrosis. And when it came to NASH resolution, this patient also was included in that, meaning that weight loss alone is able to resolve this disease. And that's not totally surprising. I think a lot of doctors coach their patients to try to improve their lifestyle and they would see an improvement in NASH. The issue is that a lot of patients aren't very compliant with that, which is the reason why there's such a big market for NASH molecules right now. So with that left aside, uh, it does skew their data in a way that it doesn't make it look like the treatment group did very well but it's because they restricted their evaluable patient population to those that had the 30% or greater reduction in liver fat based off of that 12-week scanning data. So to look at the treatment group only, when it comes to the NAS reduction by two points or greater, all of the groups together, there was a 78% number of patients that responded in that group. Now, if we switch to NASH resolution, which is actually going to be the phase three endpoint, and what this means is it's not just a two-point improvement or greater. They want total resolution of NASH, which means a zero or one for lobular inflammation, and that means the infiltration of immune cells, and a zero for ballooning. So this is obviously a higher bar than the two-point or greater. And what we see here is 48% of patients responded when they were on the EFX group, the treatment group, compared to 50% in the placebo group. Now, the placebo group, there's only two patients in this population, and one of them did have this tremendous weight loss. So I think that in their phase three, this is going to shake out a little bit better, and we're going to get a better idea of how much of an improvement there is in the drug treatment versus the placebo, because you can imagine that if the placebo group was higher, you would expect that less of them would have NASH resolution. And the fact that there's only two placebo patients that are valuable here means to me that that is the patient population that's inflated based off of these numbers. 
So looking at the other endpoint that you would expect to see in the phase two, as well as the phase three that they're gonna end up doing, which is fibrosis improvement by one stage or more with no worsening of NASH, or NAS, the NASH activity score. And here, both of the placebo patients did not meet that threshold, but 48% of them did in all of the different doses for the EFX group. So I do think this is a very positive result, uh, despite the weirdness of the placebo. Overall, this is a very nice response, and I'll show how this compares to the other molecules that we've been looking at. From a side effect perspective, it didn't seem like there were many treatment-specific related side effects. They showed a little chart that I didn't include here because it was a minority of patients, and a lot of them had nothing to do really with the treatment. The things that did come out to me were the gastrointestinal side effects here. So what we see is that diarrhea was pretty common in a lot of the treated patients, especially in the EFX 50 milligram group. And in the call that we heard, it, said, it sounded like what the company's gonna go with is maybe two doses, the EFX at 28 milligrams and the EFX at 50 milligrams, and they're gonna drop the 70 milligram group, which makes sense because it looks like the 28 and the 50 milligram group show very nice efficacy. But even in these two patient populations, there was a lot of diarrhea, there was a lot of nausea, as well as other types of side effects related to gastrointestinal problems. Now they mentioned that a lot of these were transient and they only occurred maybe once, but we don't really see that show up in the actual data. So it's something to watch for and really what that means to me is if all of the NASH drugs are approved, you know, you can imagine that when a doctor is describing these to patients, the one that doesn't have GI effects like diarrhea might be preferred over one that does. So keep that in mind. Now, when it comes to looking at these drugs in the landscape of NASH, uh, Acaro put this nice graph here where we can look at all the different companies that have a molecule. And these trials aren't necessarily comparable because there's different endpoints and there's different treatment modalities and different number of patients that were included. So it's tough to compare, honestly. But this does give us a decent sense of what's going on here. So for the proportion of subjects with a one-stage improvement in fibrosis with no worsening of NASH, we see that Acaro does stand out from the group here. And now, mind you, this is only a small trial, and it's phase two data. But the EFX group at 50 milligrams showed a 62% response in patients, and the only other one that came close to that, I guess there were two, this company called Inventiva, as well as Semaglutide. Now, I've not looked into Inventiva at all, but I did mention Semaglutide in my last video, how their GLP molecule, which is what this is, uh, did show a pretty nice improvement in NASH. Now, if we look at the other endpoint, which is the proportion of subjects with resolution of NASH with no worsening of fibrosis, we see kind of a different thing. Now, semaglutide is competitive at this stage, but Acaro does also show very nice response at the 50 milligram dose as well as all of their patients combined. And now the placebo obviously looks terrible here, but I did explain that. But what I wanted to touch on here is a bit of a weirdness. They show here that Madrigal, a company I am invested in, had a 25% patient response in the treatment with a 15% placebo group response. But if I went to the Madrigal corporate presentation, we see here that they write that their placebo was only 6% and that the 60 to 80 milligram group was in fact 25%. So I don't know exactly what Acaro is looking at when they show this 15% placebo effect. It may have been one of their other trials, but 
it does look like Akero stands out from the crowd in this way. And for that reason, it seems like the FGF group, whether it's 21 or 19, are going to be a pretty nice molecule for doctors to prescribe for patients. So my overall verdict on this is that given we've seen all this data, I think both NGM and AKRO right now are pretty fairly valued. I think both NGM molecules are pretty interesting, and I'd be willing to take a position on that if the company's you know, re reasonably valued before that data comes out. I think the AKRO results, it's all been priced in now for the most part, but it does show that there's a likely effect in other molecules that are analogous to FGF21. So I am still holding Viking Therapeutics as well as Madrigal, and we're going to expect to see results in late 2020, I believe, for Viking, and then Madrigal will come around in 2021. And given the CRL from Intercept, it seems like Madrigal might be the front runner to get an approval, but all of that could change based off of the FDA minutes that we hear from Intercept Pharma. There's also issues with the sector itself in NASH, and for that reason, I think I'm going to be careful when it comes to holding these companies long term. And I know I've been holding Viking and Madrigal for quite a while, but there's issues in the sector. And the one is this draft guidance that we received from the FDA obviously isn't good enough. And this is what we're seeing in the Intercept CRL, which is the FDA says themselves that the histopathologic endpoints aren't enough to allow Intercept to move forward, given the risks associated with Okaliva. Now, Okaliva has a lot of issues specific to that drug that I don't see in, say, Madrigal or Viking, neither with FGF21 molecule or FGF19. So I don't think it's going to be a big problem for these companies, but the FDA is slow walking their guidance. And for that reason, it makes me a little bit nervous. The other thing is the FDA might want clinical outcomes data before approving. So this is just going to add more pressure on these companies to produce that data that I mentioned, the progression of cirrhosis, the all-cause mortality, uh, et cetera. I mentioned a few others. So if the FDA wants that, it's going to take even longer for these drugs to get approved. So for that reason, I'm a little bit cautious. And then the last one is we don't know if any payers are going to support this, if Medicare is going to support this, if any other private insurance company is going to support this. Specifically related to the FGF space, there's other companies that have assets like this. One is called 86Bio, and they have a molecule called Bio89100. Bristol-Myers has a molecule called Peg-Belferman, and Roche also has a molecule that's related to this FGF asset. But like I've mentioned before, I kind of hate investing in large-cap pharma, but I did take a quick look at 89Bio, and I think there might be a play here. So 89Bio, ticker symbol ENTB. Don't know why they named the ticker symbol like that, but uh, it is what it is. They closed on Friday at $27.60 a share, giving them a market cap of $380 million. And they were up 10 bucks on the AKRO news, which kind of makes sense because it's a related molecule. They have a net cash position of 80 million bucks and they spend around 10 million per quarter. And their key molecule here is Bio89-100. And this is a long-acting FGF21 analog, kind of similar to Akero's drug but they've only shown phase 1A data and they currently have a phase 1B slash 2A trial. These results are gonna come out in late Q3, early Q4 of this year. And I can envision these being very positive results given what we've seen for Acaro. What we've seen so far is pretty good early data. They've shown preclinical data as well as phase 1A data. 
and it looked okay. It didn't seem like there's any reason to be cautious. Um, and the readouts that we're going to see are MRI PDFF readout at 7 and 13 weeks. So this is specifically looking at liver fat reduction. They're doing six different dosing groups, and if you do the breakdown, that works out to about 13 patients per group. Now, I don't love this because I would prefer to have fewer dosing groups and more patients per group to make sure that it's powered correctly and make sure that there's a statistically significant difference. But I still think that given the profound effect we saw with Acaro, I can imagine that Bio 89100 is also going to look pretty good. So what I'm going to do is keep an eye on the company, and if we see any dips, I can envision taking a small position in anticipation for positive results in the Phase 1B 2A trial. So that's what I'm going to do, and I'm probably going to leave NGM and AKRO alone for now. So that's where I'm at with Nash. And this week, uh, things to watch out for are basically the COVID resurgence. If hospital systems start to get overwhelmed, and I know it's been kind of a lower age group that has been seeing this COVID positivity, but if hospital systems begin to get overwhelmed, we can see this start to have negative effects on that system particularly, but also if governments mandate that businesses shut down, it's going to be a detriment to the economy. Now we've seen that the death percentage has reduced, but deaths are a lagging indicator. You need to get COVID-19, then get hospitalized before you can even die. So that I think is kind of artificial right now, and in two weeks we're going to see whether or not the death rate starts to climb up again. We have seen that certain states are doing selective shutdowns, and in my case specifically, it's these bars that don't sell any food, so they're not doing a broad shutdown like they were before, and if that's the case, I think there is kind of a silver lining here, that if we start to just live with the virus and promote masks, then we're not going to have to shut down the economy, and that's really our best case scenario until there's a good vaccine or treatment that comes out. Overall, to do a quick portfolio wrap-up, I'm looking at negative 10% for the year, and I'm going to update all of this to show the six-month, the back half six months, because we did finally reach July, and happy Canada Day, as well as Independence Day for all Americans. But in the past two weeks, I did add the 1,000 shares of Actinium, and I should warn, I didn't mention this, but somebody asked me the question whether or not they are at risk of being delisted, and they absolutely are. Please be mindful of that. Nothing that I'm saying here is investment advice, it's only for entertainment, and you're all at your own risk when you're doing any investment decisions. Having said that, I don't remember if I included the buy of iAvance as well as uh, KPTI. I did add to this iAvance position, so I think my average is actually a bit lower than this, so this is a little bit outdated. Otherwise, uh, I am trailing all of the other indices. I'm pretty much in line with the Dow Jones, but I think the back half of the year we're going to come back with a fury. With that, I'm going to wrap it up. I want to thank everybody for watching. appreciate all the support. Click the like or subscribe button and share the show to a friend, and that would go a long way to help, help it out. But thanks again, everybody, and we'll see you next time.